And I called it a three-dimensional look at the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. A three-dimensional look at the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 19 and verse 38 again, please. And after this, that is after his crucifixion. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave. He came therefore and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus, which at first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about an hundred pound weight. Then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with the spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified there was a garden. And in the garden a new sepulchre wherein never man was yet led. There led they Jesus therefore because of the Jews preparation day for the sepulchre was nigh at hand. Chapter 20. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, to the sepulchre, and saith the stone taken away from the sepulchre. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter, and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we know not where they have led him. Peter therefore went forth, and that other disciple, and came to the sepulchre. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter, and the first and came first. Peter came first to the sepulchre, and he stooping down and looking in saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter, following him, and went in unto the sepulchre and seeth the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple which came first to the sepulchre and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. But Mary stood without at the sepulchre and as she wept she stooped down and looked into the sepulchre and saith to angels in white sitting the one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have led him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing, and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast led him, and I will take him away. And Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and your father 
to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. I will stop there. Keep your Bible open there, please. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, that your presence is in this meeting. Thank you, Father, for the worship that has ascended the throne room. We thank you, Lord, for your word that has been read. And now, Father, we ask you, Lord, to bless on the left hand and on the right. We ask you to speak deep into our breast, into our souls. We ask you to speak into our spirits and our minds, Lord. We ask you, Father, to take charge and take over, take control. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come and move, move greatly, move large in this house. And Father, bless every head that is bowed in your presence and every family that is represented. We think of those who can't be with us for one reason or another, whether for holiday or through illness. Encourage them at this moment in time, we pray, and refresh them. We ask it for Jesus' name's sake. Amen. Amen. We looked this morning at how the three-dimensional death burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus is more than surface. In other words, it has depth to it. We looked at the gospel. We didn't read as much of the scripture this morning, but the scripture we read three times, it mentions the body of Jesus. The fourth time it mentions the body of Jesus is when he is resurrected and the body of Jesus is no longer there. But the three times mentioning the body of Jesus, as I said, we covered quite a bit of ground this morning. And we told you about the number three. Why the number three is so important. For example, the body of Jesus is mentioned three times before his burial and during his burial. The body of Jesus is mentioned three times. The the, the tomb was sealed with three different applications. He was in the tomb for three days. And on the third day, he arose again. Three is very, very important to us. Before we open up the number three again and give you a reminder, and for those who were unable to come this morning and are here tonight, let me just tell you what has happened so far. Christ has been crucified. Joseph of Arimathea who was a secret disciple, has now come out of hiding because, you see, the cross brings power. The cross causes a man and a woman, when they understand the full import and depth of what happened on the cross of Christ, causes a man and a woman to step out for Christ. They're unashamed of their Savior. They're unashamed of their Lord. They'll step out in front of anyone and anything and proclaim him as Lord of Lords. They'll proclaim him as their Savior. Such was Joseph of Arimathea. Even in the reading it says that he was a a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews. Can I ask someone tonight, are you secretly in your heart being dealt with by the Holy Ghost? Are you secretly in your heart being dealt with, yet you're afraid of what family or friends or work colleagues or neighbors would say, should you bow the knee to Christ? Should you take the step of faith that is being generated in your heart by the Spirit of God? 
Are you afraid that if you take that step that people will slander you or fall out with you? Sidestep you? Such was Joseph of Arimathea. But when he got a clear view of Calvary, when he got a clear view of the cross of Christ and the cross work of Christ, when he got a clear view of the Lamb of God dying in his room instead, Joseph of Arimathea was unashamed and unafraid to take the step of faith and say, it's Christ for me. The next person that we also read about was Nicodemus, the man who came to Jesus by night. He was ashamed to be associated with the Galilean. He was ashamed to be associated with him for prestige and power and the things that it had to offer came to the forefront of his life. So again, he came by night when none would see him. He came by night again secretly that none would be able to point the finger at him. And so we're told that these two men come out for Christ. And these two men take the body of Jesus, they anoint it, they wrap it in linen cloth, and they lay it in a new sepulchre or tomb. You see, when Christ really deals with a man and woman, they are totally unashamed of him. I want to say it again. When Christ really deals with a man and a woman, they are totally unashamed of him. I trust, Christian, we're unashamed. We're not ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. I trust that we're not ashamed to claim him as our own in front of our work colleagues, our friends, our neighbors, and our family. I trust that all would know that where we are, they would know the witness of Christ in our lives, and they would see it. They would see the grace of God upon us. Some things I want to look at moving swiftly on. I want to look at the power of the cross. They take down the body of Jesus, Joseph of Arimathea. He goes and claims the body. Now usually when someone claimed a body or when someone claimed a a, a wife or whatever, claiming something was a way of kinsman redeemership. So Joseph of Arimathea has thought that he was actually Jesus' uncle, being able with power and prestige to enter before Pilate and claim the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. Even though that the power that be's held that right, the real power that be, Almighty God himself, held the right to the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the power of the cross, to some it is a savor of life, and to others it is a savor of death. In other words, every man and woman will be judged according to their acceptance or their rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrificial offering on the cross. And it will be a savor unto life for those who accept Christ, and will be a savor unto death for those who reject Christ. Here we have these men accepting Christ. Here we have these men coming out for Christ. And we're told that these men were unashamed to be associated with Christ. The power of the cross for the Lord Jesus, it was a savor of death for him. But yet for you and I who are saved, it was the savor of life. For example, 
when Joseph of Arimathea took away the body of Jesus, Christ allowed himself to die. Now, what do you mean he allowed himself to die? You see, Jesus says, no man taketh my life from me. I have the power to lay down my life. Listen, and I have the power to take it again. No one took his life. Christ freely, fully and willingly laid down his life for me and for you. Joseph of Arimathea takes the body with Nicodemus. Listen to what it says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 21. We want to look at the power of the cross as a savor unto death for Christ. See, some people say that Jesus swooned on the cross. Jesus fainted on the cross. Jesus pretended to die. Some say it wasn't even Jesus on the cross. They want to look at mystical things and fairy tales to try uh, and wipe away the miraculous of God. But you see, for the, to save a man and a woman, it takes the miraculous of God. For you and I cannot save ourselves. And if it is not miraculous, if it's not from heaven, if it's not totally and completely of Almighty God, then you and I are still lost. We want to look at the power of the cross as a saver unto death for Christ. Romans 5 and 21 tells us this. It says, sin hath reigned unto death. Now let me read that bit again. Sin hath reigned unto death. When Adam sinned, death came. Sin brought forth death. And sin reigned unto death. See the word there for reigned. It's a Greek word, basilio. And it means to sit as a monarch. To sit as though a great king. In other words, sin in the human depraved body sits as the monarch, sits as the king over all of our lives. And we think we're living a life of freedom. We think we're living a life that's pleasurable. We think we're living a life that, that it's, we are the God of our life. Sin is the king and the monarch of every man and woman's life. Sin is. That's the idea. Sin Reigned unto death. In other words, sin reigned as a king. And you were the slave and I was the slave. And it brought us into the sphere, into the realm, into the area, into the place of, all, of death. In other words, I'll tell you something sure. That unless Jesus comes, you and I will enter the sphere of death. Unless Christ comes, every one of us will enter this realm. Every one of us will pass through this valley of the shadow of death. Unless Christ returns. Now let me read this verse. Sin hath reigned unto death. Even so, grace, praise God. Even so, here is this monarch reigning over your life. Ruling over your life as a king over humanity and mankind. But Paul reminds us through the eternal spirit, he says, Even so, grace, he says. That's a wonderful word, isn't it? Grace, he says, 
You know, five is the number of grace in the Bible. G-R-A-C-E. There's a five-letter word. Grace, he says. Grace is when we receive that which we do not deserve. It says grace, even so might grace reign through righteousness. Unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. The word reign is exactly the same. It's those whom Christ came and died for and they accepted him. It says that grace has reached the sinner. Grace has reached the alcoholic. Grace has reached the drug addict. Grace has reached the prostitute. Grace has reached the homosexual. Grace has reached men and women from every walk of life. But grace empowers us that that king of our life no longer rules and reigns in our life as a king and a monarch. But grace rules my life. And grace rules yours. It tells me unless Christ returns, it may rule unto death. And every day my flesh may sin before God. But grace is a greater monarch. And grace says, Ken, you've done wrong. Get up and keep going, son. And it oversees and overrules all that the monarch of sin does in your life. Because Jesus died He shed his blood and he paid the price in food. Now that is something they get excited about. Grace. Notice what he said. Even so my grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Here we have in our reading. Here we have a weak, limp, Lifeless body being taken down from a cross, being carried by man's hands. He who raised the dead is now himself dead. He who healed all sickness has now allowed that body of his to die. And he who gave his life to all who come unto him is now found to be lifeless in himself. Christ allowed himself to die. The body of Jesus, it says. The body of Jesus. The body of Jesus. As I said this morning, let me tell you why I believe it's mentioned three times. The body of Jesus, number three, as we know, is the number of witness and testimony. Three is also the number of cubic measure. It is the number of solidity. It is the number that gives strength and depth. I said this morning, for example, two-dimensional services, surfaces like the surface of the table there. It's the length plus the breadth, and that is your surface area. And that's all you have with two-dimensional surfaces. But three dimensions bring something different. Three dimensions adds depth. It gives a measure that talks about volume of something. and In other words, it has a clout about it. It's like we have a flat packed box and the surface there is the length and the breadth. That's just the surface. When we build the box, we have the depth of it. It carries things. It holds things. It's greater volume. It's more subtle, uh, more, more stable. That's the idea of number three here. 
The body of Jesus. The body of Jesus. The body of Jesus. Lord, what are you telling us about the body of Jesus? He's showing us that there's a third dimension to look at in Scripture. It's more than just a fairy tale. It's more than just a flight of fancy. It's more than just a wee story and something to put on a poster every, every year when it comes to Easter time. It's the body of Jesus. He was slain for me. For example, God's word. I lift this Bible And I lift this Bible as a man unregenerate. And I would read these and read these pages, and this page may just be exactly that a page with ink upon it. It is flat, it has a two dimensional meaning. Nice stories, nice applications, nice things to hear, little things to tickle the ears, make our hearts a little bit joyful, help us when we're in a little time of mourning, and that's fine. That's two dimensional reading. But the third dimension is needed in the life. The third dimension is the anointing of the Holy Ghost. You read it in the Holy Ghost. He opens it up. And you're climbing into the word of God. You're stepping into realms that you know not of. And the Lord is revealing and manifesting the things of God. The precious things. Like apples of gold in pictures of silver. Wow, blows your mind. Blows your mind at the things he does. Blows your mind at who he is. And here's the sad thing. There are people with two-dimensional religious, two-dimensional religious lives. They see the length of it, they see the breadth of it, but there's no spirit in it. Two-dimensional lives and they claim Christ, but they deny the power thereof. They deny all that the Holy Ghost has for them. There are those who have no depth, no solidity in their life according to Scripture, and then they're living. It takes the third dimension, if you want, the 3D effect of the Holy Spirit to make Christ alive to you. Have you been listening to the gospel tonight or maybe before? Maybe on a CD or online or maybe at another meeting and suddenly Christ comes alive to you and your heart is rejoicing in it or maybe you're unsaved and and you have never heard these things before and you realize there really is a Lord Jesus Christ. The body of Jesus was taken from the cross and placed in a tomb for me. He tasted death. Have have you a two-dimensional religion? Or have you got a Holy Ghost religion? A Holy Ghost religion is a religion that exalts the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Three stands for what is solid, what is real, substantial, 
It stands for fullness. Notice that. It stands for fullness and for actuality. Something that has a reality about it. Stands for fullness, actuality and depth. Notice this. Three also stands for divine fullness. In other words, it speaks of the full orb deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is revealed to us in the person of his Father. And of the Son and the Holy Ghost. And he is the full orb deity. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9 says, For in him that is in the Son of God, in that body that they took down from the tree, it says, In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He's just a man. He's more than a man. He's just a prophet. He's more than a prophet. He's just a spiritual guru like the rest. He's more than that. For I'll take you to the place where Confucius lies. And he still lives there. He's dead. He lies in the place they left him. And Buddha is the same. And Muhammad is the same. And I'll take you to every religion of the world who claims to have a spiritual leader. And they're dead. But I'll take you to the tomb that is in the garden and it is empty. He is not here. He is risen. He is the risen Lord. Risen from the dead. Here we have, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Man's word from man's voice. Imagine this, the word spoken to Nothing and creates the universe, upholds the the worlds by the word of his power. Think of this, the word of God. That third dimensional spiritual realm where the word comes alive. The rima of almighty God, the quickened word to the heart. The quickened word into outer space as it were into blackness and darkness. And all things became living. He comes into a body and that body taken down from the cross and laid in a tomb. Listen, and man comes and speaks his word to rescue the body. Isn't that not ironic? Shows a humility of the Savior. Joseph of Arimathea asks for the body of Jesus. He's placed into man's hands. He who holds the universe is placed into man's hands. And they wound him up with linen and placed him in a tomb. He's placed into a tomb And the earth that he created, there was a hole in the ground created for him. It's ironic. Hey. There's no pride there, sure there's not. There's none in Christ. Yet he alone is worthy. He alone is worthy. Man's hands carry a lifeless corpse and they take the body of Jesus, the body which was the tabernacle of the fullness of the Godhead. And he goes the way of man's disposition. In other words, man would go the way of all flesh to the grave and he allows himself to be carried by man's hands and placed in a tomb. Here we have 
the beauty of Christ. The body of Jesus mentioned three times, proves, signifies, and tells us with certainty the truth, the fact, the reality, giving a strong, solid, substantial actuality of the death of Christ. It's not a two-dimensional surface religion, and it's not two-dimensional theology open for interpretation or supposition. It is true that Jesus died. It's a third mention truth. What's the third mention truth? The third mention truth would go like this. In theological studies, you talk about the law of the first mention. Mostly in the book of Genesis, we go to the seedbed of the Bible. We see what the first mention of a thing, a place, a person, or, or a word is, and we try and carry that through called the Bible pattern. Principal George Jeffries taught that. And when you carry it right through, that's called the law of the first mention. And then there is the law of the second mention. And the law of the second mention is when something is said twice in a statement or in a paragraph, and it gives the idea of strength, gives the idea to reaffirm it, gives the idea that you need to take notice. So when you're reading the scriptures and you see it mentioned twice, stop, pause, think, read it again and again and again, and say, Lord, what are you saying to me? But the third mention, the third mention is that three-dimensional one that the Holy Ghost is saying, you need to take a deeper look. The Holy Ghost recorded this through John's pen. And its meaning is to have this wonder of wonders. Inscribed upon our hearts, this mystery of mysteries imprinted upon our minds, emblazoned within our souls, that we would know the import of it all, that we fickle humans would feel the impact of it all, and that we would understand the importance of it all. The truth of a third mention. Here he's saying three means depth to this. Depth. Is it any wonder? The Holy Ghost would have the pen of John write the body of Jesus. The body of Jesus. The body of Jesus. Three times. Is it any wonder for that beautiful one is the tender plant of God. He is the branch of righteousness. He is the apple of the Father's eye. This is my beloved son. This is my in other words, this is the one who has the fullness of my spirit. And I love him. And he watched him bleed and die. He watched him bleed and die. Man, take him from a cross and lay him in a tomb. And the Holy Ghost is saying, understand what has been done for you. I think we're getting it a little, aren't we? Understand what is being done. And we think we'll be saved in our own merit. And we think we'll be saved because of our denomination. We think we'll be saved. I'm not a good, I'm not a bad person. I'm a good person. I was talking to somebody the other day and they were talking about all the relics of Rome and all. Yes, and that's true. Can I tell you something? Do you know who some of the worst are? So-called Protestants. 
Because they're not taught the gospel anymore either. But they think they're all right the way they are. If you die without Christ, you'll be lost for eternity. Here the Holy Ghost is saying, Look at my son. Look at him. Dead and lifeless. Tasted death for a wretch like me and you. First Peter 3 and 18 says, For Christ also hath suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Notice, being put to death in the flesh. Feel the strength of that, can you? Can you feel the strength of that? Listen, when we lose a loved one, it breaks our hearts. We lose a loved one, we see them go down that hole, it kills us. A part of us dies forever. We look out for them and we miss them when they don't wrap the door or they're not in our life anymore. And we're looking continually to see if we can catch something of a resemblance of them. Get the strength of this. It says he was put to death in the flesh. Doesn't stop there though, sure it doesn't. He was quickened by the Spirit. He was quickened by the Spirit. Know the word quickened? You know what it means? He was reanimated by the power of the Holy Ghost. In other words, the Holy Ghost knew where he was. And the Holy Ghost came and raised him to life again. Am I the only ones getting excited tonight? The Holy Ghost came and raised him to life. First Peter 2 and 24 says of our Lord Jesus, who his own self bare our sins in his own body. That body they took down from the tree. That body they wrapped in linen cloth. That body they placed in a tomb. It says they, uh, he bore our sins in his own body. My sins and yours in his body. That we being dead to sin should live on the righteousness. Here's a wonderful verse. By whose stripes ye were healed. Hallelujah. You know when he took my, sick, my, my sins he also took my sicknesses. And he says I might as well just do the job completely. And now by his stripes we are healed. The fullness of our healing will come at the resurrection of the dead and the catching up of the saints. Don't say a secret rapture now. It's a different story. A three-dimensional look at the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord. Boys, are there times flying already? What's you doing, or boy, get this? Let me try and wrap this up, and we'll see how we get on. The best is yet to come, you see, so we want to try and get there, but we're... I want to look at the power of the grave. It held him for three days. Was the grave that powerful that it could hold Almighty God flesh for three days? 
Again, no, 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 no. He succumbed himself. He allowed himself to be placed in the tomb. And you see, by the time we get to the resurrection, you would stand in your head and spit nickels. You'll be jumping out and shouting, praise the Lord and hallelujah, for you will see the power of Almighty God. For when he returns, that same power that lives in you, which raised Jesus from the dead, it will quicken our mortal members. And we shall be changed in a moment. The body of Jesus went all, went the way of all flesh in the sense of death, but yet not to corruption. Puritan George Swinnock said on death and burial, he said, against this arrest, there is no bail. If I have to lay you down a hole tomorrow, if I have to bring the the undertaker, the funeral directors around and preach a word around the graveside and say, right, let's throw it in. We'll, we'll, we'll do a committal here and we'll fill it with, with soil and earth. I have something to tell you. There's no bail. Some man there knows that. There's no bail. And you know what it's like when you've left your loved one like that? You don't get them back. You don't get them back. There's no bail. But when you're in Christ, when you're in Christ, you don't need bail. He pronounces you justified because he rose from the dead. And the grave won't hold you. Sin will have no power over you. The devil cannot claim you. And hell is not for you. It's heaven for us who are in Christ tonight. They placed him in a new sepulchre according to John 19. You know when our Lord went into Jerusalem he rode upon a coat which a man had never ridden. And he reposed in a tomb wherein man had never yet led. And he led for three days. Why three days? We told you about uh, Lazarus laying for three days or four days. And he was stinking because Psalm 16 and 10 says, Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. And the Lord brought it right to the fullness of the title of his word. And he says, Now it's time, son, let's rise from the dead. I've about six pages here. No, we'll do. I'll do another one next week, will I? I'll do another one next week. The Father planted a seed, a corn of wheat in the ground, in the person of his lovely son, the body of Jesus. And it was broken. That's why Jesus says, this is my body which is broken for you. This doing remembrance of me when he breaks the bread. It was broken But yet when it was resurrected, 
it's so that it will bring a great harvest at the coming of the Lord. I'm going to be in the harvest of the Lord. I want to be sifted as wheat, not chaff. What about you? We must be born again. We must be saved and trusting in Christ. Don't leave it too late. I'll say this and I'll close. Thank you for your attention. It's been tremendous. Here's the thing. I talked to a a woman one time. She was in hospital. Gravely, gravely ill. And she came from a Protestant background, but she had more Roman Catholic relics around her than anything else. I sat beside her and says, you know, her name, and says, you're looking at this. There's a, 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 a prayer card, and there's a mass card, and that somebody that knew or gave to her, and, and there's a, a, all sorts of trinkets and charms all hanging around a bed in the hospital. Gary, you know who I'm talking about. He sent me up to see her. I pleaded with her, told her the gospel. She knew the gospel. I, I think when I get home, I might do something about it. She just point blank refused. Told her the way I'm telling you, I just didn't miss her and hit the wall. I told her the truth. That woman put her faith in every trinket that was, whether it's Anglican or whether it was Catholic or whether it was just secular or whether it was anything else. She put her her trust in them. She'd rather rely on them. And I displayed Christ before her. I says, here is your salvation. Here is the only one who can bring you to glory. Him and him alone. Would you please not see this? She had no third dimension. No Holy Ghost conviction. Pleaded with her, I don't know, an hour, two hours. And I left her. She died without Christ. She thought, I'll think about this. She died without Christ. You can verify that for me, can't you, Gary? It's true. Launched out into eternity without knowing the Lord Jesus. After all that he's done. Friend, we're not promised tonight. We're not promised tomorrow. I pray that you will get yourself right if you're not. And if you're a believer, rejoice. For Christ has set you free. Glorify your name, Lord. We glorify your name. Gary, Please finish for us. No, we'll do. And I forgot, we'll lift the offering at this point. I meant to do it at the start, and just the way we changed the meeting, we usually start with a hymn. But with musicians away, we didn't know what way to start. And thank you, Gary, for your, your ability, your faithfulness. It has been great. You know, I'll tell you what we'll do in the Lord's will. Next Sunday night, I'll look at the tomb. And there's a three dimension to the tomb mentioned making sure he was never coming out. But God had different ideas. And there's a three dimension as well of the resurrection. And we'll look at his return again.
God willing, next week. The Lord bless you all. Thank you, Gary.